The Munich Security Conference is underway with a focus on support for Ukraine and its long fight against Russia. Other top issues include U.S.-China relations. We'll have the latest from Beijing. I'm Scott Simon. And I'm Aisha Roscoe. And this is Up First from NPR News. Are we headed toward a recession? That's the big question experts are asking. Some say we are, and others predict what they call a soft landing. And federal agencies continue to assess the impact of the train derailment in Ohio earlier this month that caused a toxic chemical spill. Here's Governor Mike DeWine. We're doing absolutely everything that we can to assure residents about what the situation is. So stay with us. We've got the news you need to start your weekend. Heads of state, diplomats, and security experts from all around the world gathered in a small hotel in Munich talking, discussing the state of the world at the Munich Security Conference. There are some notable absentees, but we'll get to those in a second. In attendance, European leaders, a third of the U.S. Senate, the U.S. Secretary of State, Vice President Kamala Harris, and China's top diplomat. And the latter two addressed the conference this morning, and Pierre's John Ruich has been listening in from Beijing and joins us. John, thanks for being with us. Happy to do it. There's lots of talk about whether the U.S. and China could talk um, after the U.S. shootdown of a Chinese surveillance balloon. Uh, the Secretary of State, of course, canceled his trip planned for early February uh, when the balloon was seen in the sky. Y- you have some news to share. Yeah, a source familiar with uh, the planning here told NPR that Blinken, uh, Secretary of State Blinken and Wang Yi are going to meet in Munich. You know, there's a ton of acrimony in the relationship, obviously, between China and the U.S., a lot of mistrust. Um, And frankly, there's been a lot of tough talking accusations. Blinken's trip that was scheduled earlier in the month to Beijing was supposed to be this confidence building measure, kind of a way to build on momentum after a face to face meeting between President Biden and China's Xi Jinping in November. Uh, before the balloon, there was this sense that both sides were at least taking these small steps to put a floor under the, this deteriorating relationship. You know, it's unclear how much of that can be restored now. Uh, this meeting in Munich will probably help a little bit. President Biden said on Thursday he was going to talk with Xi Jinping, but China's foreign ministry did not confirm that. Uh, also, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby, speaking on Friday, said that a formal request for that conversation had not been made to Beijing. So... You know, taking baby steps, right? The big question is, with all this mistrust and tension, what progress can be made? What did uh, Vice President Harris and others at the conference have to say about the uh, war in Ukraine as it uh, enters its second year? Yeah. Vice President Harris announced that the U.S. has formally determined that Russia has committed crimes against humanity in Ukraine and promised that they'll be held to account. I believe that's uh, some new terminology there. Those are new words there from her. She said the transatlantic unity and the NATO alliance were stronger than ever, that the international rules-based order was strong and must stay strong, and that Russia had really been weakened by its invasion. And, you know, she reiterated a point that President Biden has made, that the U.S. will support Ukraine for as long as it takes. She did point out that the U.S. was troubled by China's relationship with Moscow and the fact that it had strengthened since the start of the war. And she made a brief but quite clear warning to China not to provide any lethal aid to Russia. China's top foreign policy official, uh, who you mentioned before, Wang Yi, addressed the gathering. What did he have to say? 
He did. He had a few things to say. First, he really tried to reassure the audience that China's rise is not a threat, that China growing stronger is a good thing for the world. He said China's development was linked to peace, that it has a track record of maintaining peace, and that that wasn't going to change. Um, secondly, I would say he really took aim at the U.S. in his speech and in some brief Q&A remarks afterwards, painting the United States as a bad actor, trying to thwart China's rise with protectionism. And on the balloon issue, he said that the U.S. response was absurd and hysterical, and that shooting down the Chinese balloon uh, was 100% an abuse of the use of force. And he said it showed that the U.S. is weak, not strong, and suggested that it was done to divert attention away from America's domestic problems. No invitations to Russia and Iran, right? Yes, that's correct. It's worth noting that both have attended in the past, obviously, Russia since the 1990s. Um, with the one-year anniversary of the Ukraine invasion just around the corner, though, the, this war is front and center at the conference. And the chair of the Munich Security Conference was very clear about why Russia wasn't invited. He reportedly said that, in effect, they didn't want Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia, to try to use the conference as a, as a forum for Russian propaganda. You know, of course, at the same time, Germany's position on Russia has become tougher over the course of the, of the war. Germany's the host of this meeting, uh, and the non-invitation of Russia really reflects um, its position. In terms of Iran, you know, its officials weren't invited because of the suppression of protests that's been happening there for months. And here's Jan Ruich in Beijing. Thanks so much. Thank you. Latest now in that freight train derailment in Ohio, near the Pennsylvania border that caused a massive explosion and fire two weeks ago that released clouds of toxic fumes. The state of Ohio will open up a public health clinic in East Palestine Monday to assess residents who have concerns about their health. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is defending the federal response to the train wreck while also calling for stronger regulations on trains carrying flammable and toxic chemicals. Joining us now to discuss all this is NPR's transportation correspondent, David Shaper. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, let's start with the federal response, which state and local political leaders say has been somewhat lacking and, and slow. Do we know why it's taken so long? Well, you know, the criticism is coming from both Republicans in the state of Ohio and elsewhere, and even Democrats like Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia. And the criticism focuses on why it took almost two weeks for any cabinet-level official to come to the site. EPA Administrator Michael Regan did visit the town on Thursday, but no other top administration officials have been there. The response from the White House is that, you know, this is a very active and literally volatile situation, that they were focusing resources on the immediate response. But they say that other top officials will be visiting the site in the coming days and weeks. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine also says he requested disaster assistance for FEMA, which was denied. But the White House says that's because this isn't like a hurricane, tornado, wildfire, or any other kind of natural disaster where there's widespread property damage. This is different. And there's also a party that is responsible, Norfolk Southern Railroad, that has promised uh, cleanup funding and, and other aid. The White House also says that FEMA has been in regular communication with state and local officials, as have a host of other federal agencies. Residents have been complaining about symptoms from the smoke and the fumes and the smells they say are still in the air. So what is being done about that? 
Yeah, there are symptoms like headaches and dizziness and irritated eyes and throats still being reported, and people there complain they're getting vague and incomplete information about what's in the air and what might be in the soil and water after this catastrophe. You know, so the Biden administration is going to be sending teams of medical personnel and toxicologists from the Department of Health and Human Services and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. They're going to be conducting health assessments of people on the site. The EPA is still on site and has been from almost the very beginning with state officials conducting testing of the air and the water and even the soil too looking for any dangerous levels of toxic chemicals so this derailment has raised questions about regulations on shipping volatile and toxic chemicals the trump administration actually repealed a measure that required a higher level braking system for trains carrying these substances what's the latest on that yeah, the braking system we're talking about is is called electronically controlled pneumatic brakes. It's known as ECP brakes. And what they would do is they would apply the force of braking simultaneously to all the cars and stop the train much more quickly than the systems that are currently used on freight trains. Well, that rule was repealed by the Trump administration after heavy lobbying from the railroad industry, which said it, it, it cost an awful lot of money. And there were some studies that questioned whether it really prove safety all that much. But even if it hadn't been scrapped, it wouldn't have applied to this train in particular because this train didn't have as many cars as it needed with hazardous materials to fall under that rule anyway. So there is talk, though, of resurrecting this rule or having Congress enact a law that would require these ECB breaks. And even some of the Republicans who had opposed the regulation in the first place are saying now they're coming around. David Shaper, NPR's transportation correspondent, thank you so much. Thank you, Aisha. A lot of people around the country wonder if the U.S. is headed for a recession. Strong unemployment numbers, yet high interest rates and low spending have economists split. Some forecast a recession and others think we'll be able to achieve what's called a soft landing. NPR Stacey Vanek-Smith joins us. Stacey, thanks for being with us. Hi, Scott. I'm so glad to be here. And what's the difference between recession and soft landing? I think that's a great question. Essentially, a recession is when the economy is shrinking. It starts producing less stuff, fewer cars, fewer laptops, fewer haircuts. And when that happens, companies, you know, they put the brakes on, they produce less, they get smaller, they tend to lay people off. Mm-hmm. And a soft landing is a little more like the economy just takes its foot off the gas. So companies' growth, the economy's growth, it slows down, but it doesn't start shrinking. So are we heading into a recession? The short answer is I don't know. And a lot of economists are very divided about this for good reason, I think, because a lot of the economic data we're getting in, a lot of the big numbers, they're not telling a consistent story. Well, help us understand what the data shows, because it would seem like if we were headed into a recession, the direction would be clear. Yes. In past recessions, certainly the ones I've experienced, you know, you feel it. You really feel it. But this is a strange moment. For instance, some of the data that we're getting from the economy is extremely positive. Look at the unemployment rate. Look at jobs. Economist Justin Wolfers at the University of Michigan, he thinks that we are definitely going to have a soft landing. You're talking to an economist who is going to be happy and tell you that I see really good things and I'm not going to be miserable and I'm not going to be dismal and I want to celebrate the moment. Wolfers makes the point that jobs are 
bigger than just a data point. You know, when people have jobs, they're confident, they spend money, they borrow money, they quit, they switch careers, all the things people do when they feel confident. And so jobs are a big deal. And Wolfers also points out that all of this good jobs news is pretty miraculous considering where our economy was just a few years ago. March of 2020, unemployment was spiking to rates not seen since the Great Depression. If you had said in three short years will yield an unemployment rate that earlier generations of economists had said was impossible, I wouldn't have believed you. And so Wolfer says as long as unemployment stays low, we are in good shape. With due regard to the professor, what's the case for a recession? Well, there's some strong data pointing to a recession, too, honestly. Dana Peterson is chief economist at the Conference Board, an economic think tank. I mean, she pointed to all the layoffs we've been seeing in industries like tech. I mean, that just tens of thousands of people losing their jobs. Businesses, if they get this whiff of weakness ahead, they're going to pull back. Peterson says a recent survey of CEOs in the U.S. found that most of them think a recession is coming or even that we might already be in one. So she thinks we've got a recession on the horizon for sure. But she did say it might be a very mild recession. Unemployment is so low at the same time. Our, our yeah. experts, I don't know, possibly more optimistic than they are willing to let on officially. The economists that think we are in a recession or heading for a recession think that maybe unemployment numbers are artificially low. So many companies were saying they couldn't find workers. It was so hard to keep workers. And so they're just possibly more hesitant to let them go than they normally would be. But I think what worries people, including Dana Peterson, is that if companies start to feel maybe like things are changing, that they might decide you know, let's save some money, let's clear the decks, and that if a lot of companies decide that at once, the unemployment situation in the U.S. could change really fast. You know, hundreds of thousands of jobs could kind of disappear. Stacey Vanek-Smith, thanks so much. Thank you, Scott. And that's up first for Saturday, February 18, 2023. I'm Scott Simon. And I'm Aisha Roscoe. On Up First tomorrow, we'll hear from an NPR correspondent and producer about their experiences covering war-torn Ukraine over the past year. Follow us on social media. We're at Up First on Twitter. And why not turn on your radio for much more from us every Saturday and Sunday morning on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Go to stations.npr.org to find your NPR stations.